You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. What's up, friends? Uh, welcome back to another episode of NFT365, and we're going to change it up a little bit on this episode. I had the uh, recent pleasure of joining the Web3 Insanity uh, experience over there on LinkedIn Audio, and I had a, you know, it was a great interview. I just had a great time uh, with the, the team, the, the panel that I was on with Francesca, Mitch, and Caleb, and uh, with the interview, you know, it was lots of really interesting questions and perspective on not only NFTs, but what does ownership mean uh, in the blockchain? How do I look at this from a parent's perspective? Uh, and a little bit about you know, our overall project. And so I thought it was a perfect fit for an episode today on the podcast. So a big shout out to Francesca, Caleb, and Mitch for having me on the show. And without further ado, here is the audio from the interview that I did with them yesterday. Cheers, my friends of tomorrow to inspire change today folks his customized and personalized programs showcase real world stories and are fine examples of forward-thinking people and web three businesses he has also thoroughly immersed himself in the world of web three as a creator in the creator economy and launched his very own adhd creator coin in march of last year and launching his own nfts and hosts his own show which i'm a big fan of the host of the top 25 nft podcast nft 365 which you're going to learn a lot more about today and he's a leading authority when it comes to all things web3 and he has a huge community and has a gift of bringing people together online and offline and has worked in over 76 countries and has a passion for change collaboration and technology He's the founder of iSocial Fans, which has helped digital and influencer strategies with some of the most iconic brands, folks, the likes of Dell, IBM, Ultimate Fighting Championship, and many, many more. He has been recognized as a top 20 digital transformation influencer, a top 50 most mentioned user by CMOs on Twitter, and top 25 business leader of the future of The Economist. I mean, if we don't have a special guest for you today, folks, I don't know what is. So without further ado, get your pens and paper paper ready you're in for a treat today a very warm welcome thank you so much for being with us today fanzo well thank you so much for uh, having me excited to be here and uh appreciate the the reading of the long intro but uh yeah all in on web3 and uh it's a pleasure to be here on uh linkedin audio right pushing the the limits of what's new and possible and uh congrats on being uh you know added to that linkedin accelerator i think linkedin's doing some great things with really creator adoption. So I love that they are uh, empowering great leaders like yourself. So thanks for having me. Ah, well, thank you. Far too kind, far too kind. So I'm going to kick some questions off for you, Fanzo. Then I know, no doubt Mitch and Francesca will jump in as well. But equally, if you in the audience have just have a question and want to raise your hand, feel free to do so. So let's start with your 
your journey, Panza? Because obviously, you know, where you are now is super inspiring, even to people, you know, all over the world in terms of Web3. But how did it start? Talk us through your Web3 journey to date. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my my pleasure. Um, you know, funny, I feel like, you know, I, I'll start, at the, start where we're at now and reverse back just real quickly. And just like, this is the intersection in my career and in my experience that I didn't know was coming, but that I've been working my entire career for. And in, in a weirdest of ways, uh, there's a lot of things in my career that are, um, you know, kind of embraced through this multi hyphenate idea, right? I have, I'm very passionate person. I'm very, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm a big fan of tech, but I'm also one that loves to do a little bit of everything. And, and for me, I've been an early adopter on kind of the bleeding edge of technology for, uh, for many years, for, you know, well over a decade. And the decade I had prior to that, I was, uh, I worked in cybersecurity for the Department of Defense. And most of what I did in, in cybersecurity with the DOD here in the United States was really just trying to get different branches of the military to collaborate, come together, and share cybersecurity policies, build collaboration tools. And ultimately, it was this idea of, you know, how can we use technology to work smarter? How can we use technology to grow together? And so for me, that was most of my, you know, my career, uh, you know, first decade was uh, in cybersecurity. And then the last, you know, uh, 10 years has been on, you know, not only as a speaker, but as someone that really, you know, loves pushing the forefront of, you know, all forms of media, you know, it's where Mitch and I spent many, many of hours on live streaming and uh, kind of pushing what was possible there with with live video. And for me, you know, Web3, in the weirdest of ways, you know, blockchain, I, I gave a keynote on blockchain technology in 2014. Uh, I worked at a data center company and I loved the idea of a transparent permanent ledger that would allow us transparency in in technology sharing. That's really where I cared about what blockchain was. I I was kind of, you know, uh, I, I'll say most of my examples in 2014 were I was trying to avoid anything that had the word crypto in it. Like I, if you could have, I mean, I, I tried everything humanly possible to avoid cryptocurrency as an example. And partially it was because of the financial component. I've never uh, been one that is driven by, um, you know, not only the, the financial aspect, but I also look at, you know, anytime you're talking emerging technology or change or early adoption, uh, it's already scary enough. It's already the wild, wild west. You know, I like to say I had, you know, a really popular show on Google Hangouts that nobody watched or nobody cared about. But if Google Plus would have been what Google Plus we all thought was going to be, um, I might be the next Joe Rogan if that had happened, right? And unfortunately, Google Plus, uh, you know, went the ways of, of Meerkat and, and even, you know, the MySpaces. And, and, you know, so for me, so much of early adoption is about like, you know, it is heavy risk. It is heavy, you know, trial and error, a lot of testing. And, you know, a lot of what we end up doing at the beginning, you know, builds what people can do in the future, but ultimately isn't always the most rewarding thing for us on the on the front edge. And so, you know, when I thought about blockchain, I was trying really hard to wrap my head around use cases that weren't cryptocurrency. And as I started looking into what was what was initially creator coins, um, I started to look at this idea of like, what if I could create my own economy, but I wasn't attached to a platform? I'm a big fan of Kickstarter, big fan of Patreon. Uh, I helped actually launch, uh, you know, monetization and tipping uh, inside of the Periscope app when, uh, bef- you know, right after Twitter bought them, you know, I was part of that team that was helping them, you know, include creator monetization. But 
all of that was really connected to a platform, not only the platform taking the percentage, but all of our, you know, we really had to put all of our eggs, quote unquote, in one basket. And for anyone that knows me, that that is not a place I like to play. I, you know, Twitter is my number one platform. It has been since, you know, 2010. Uh, I've posted four times a week here on LinkedIn uh, for since 2014. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of a lot of platforms, but I've never been one that said, Hey, I want to become platform agnostic because it scares me. It scares me to the point where I am. It's not about building on rented land, but it's more about like, wow, what if, what if they change the controls or they change the playing field? Or what if, what if I, I no longer uh, can figure out the best use cases there. And we've seen that with Facebook ads. We've seen that with, you know, Instagram, uh, you know, more recently. And so when I looked at creating you know, coins and the creator economy and this idea of like, wait a second, we could build this economy without the need for it to be living on one individual platform. That was kind of my aha moment. And that was, uh, you know, it was right around, you know, the, it was the end uh, of 2000 or 2020. Um, there, you know, we were global pandemic. I was looking at monetization options for my content. And I'll say that the part of this that is, I think, most valuable or most important is that, you know, I've been very blessed. I've spent the last eight years um, monetizing my business as a speaker, but also as a creator influencer. And I've made six figures worth of revenue off of uh, creator influencer work for eight years. And I'm very blessed to have that. But I always felt like it was something that I was like, I was very privileged to be able to leverage some of my experience some of my network. And I felt like there was a, a, many amazing creators that I didn't want them to have to go through what I had to go through with all the negotiations and all the, the, you know, back and forth with these different brands. And so that's kind of how I kind of came into, okay, what can this creator economy expand and how can I create something that is platform agnostic, but really builds everyone up. I just love the idea that rising tide lifts all boats. And that's kind of my aha in a web three. And, you know, now, you know, a little over two years later, uh, you know, I'm all in across the board. Wow, what a journey. And I have to say, you know, a lot of people get given titles, CEO, this, that, and the other, but digital futurists is well-earned because in the audience, who was talking about blockchain in 2014? I for sure was not. So, you know, you were light years ahead. And I think it's so great to be surrounded by people that really are sort of digital futurists and, and know what they're talking about. And it's a real pleasure to have you. And it is a rather clairvoyant of you as well. So I was going to ask what was your biggest aha moment when it comes to Web3? And you nicely touched on that. So I'm going to pass the mic over to my good buddy, Mitch, to, to dive in. Hey, thanks, Rob. Great intro, Brian. It's good to see you, a.k.a. Fanzo. You, you know, you mentioned a couple of things, and we're gonna we're gonna roll over to your big drop uh, next month, okay? And I want I want to I want to talk more about that. But you and I, we were early on some platforms, whether it was Meerkat, Periscope, and I don't feel like it was time wasted. I felt like whatever I learned there, whatever we collaborated on back in those days, we're rolling that over into our Web3 uh, communities. You know, we're learning new things, new communication tips, new ways, the right way to build community and the wrong way to build community. Talk to us a little bit about maybe some of your biggest takeaways from your early days in social to what you're now doing in the Web3 community that's helped you, that's allowed you to uh, expand your brand and help as many people as possible in the Web3 space. I'm curious what your unique takeaways are, Brian. Uh, I love that, Mitch, and always appreciate uh, you know sharing the stage with you and um, you know and I was I could not agree more. I would actually you know double down, triple down on that. I I don't feel for one minute 
that those times were wasted, right? I think um, it, it's easy in those moments to feel that, right? Because there's a there's like this idea of like, okay, this is going to be building for me to be the best on whatever that may be. And I, you know, I was making the the joke about the Joe Rogan idea of Google Plus, but I, without question, you know, I felt this in Clubhouse, uh, you know, during the pandemic, that when Clubhouse started to to kind of emerge, you know, in the social audio space. Um, I, I, I felt like I was cheating. Like I felt like I had a leg up on every single person that was on that platform. And I didn't care if people were on the platform before me, because for me, you know, the greatest community feel that I had ever had in my career was live video, live video, humanizing this digital relationships. And, and I think now we kind of take it almost for granted. I know I do, um, you know, far too often, but you know, during those times, if, you know, for those that think back to 2014, 2015, 2016, I mean, the idea of going live on on video and then also bringing others on live and having regular content was not only foreign, but really like even even the gaming community wasn't putting a camera on themselves. They might have been streaming what they had on their screen. And so it was that new. But the beauty of it, it was we got to learn a lot of what to do, <laughs> what not to do when it comes to, you know, content creation, participatory content, and then really community building, like you mentioned. And I think one of them, you know, one of the lessons I think I took away, you know, over these years has been, you know, the, the idea of like the words you say matter in the sense that we have to, we have to really, we have to hone in on our ability to talk with people not at them. And I think that's a skill set that we probably think about a lot, right? It's how we craft our, our blog posts to our LinkedIn messages, to our tweets, to even how we talk to our kids uh, or you know, our peers. But weirdly, I feel like in the digital space, it's the, it's the nuanced uh, you know, aspect that is too often overlooked in, in like the words we use. And it's why you know, I, I'm very, you know, when I'm listening to someone now in any you know, spaces or social audio or even video, live video, I'm very quickly will will know how how committed they are to a community and and building something bigger than themselves based on the words they're using, right? Using words like we and using words like us or when they're describing a problem, it's not what you have, it's what we have. And and a lot of those words I think kind of come across and it was something for me that I remember I remember going live on Periscope and having, you know, thousands and thousands of people watching live. And I was so confused why they are watching me compared to others. And I, and I know, Mitch, you were there in those days. And, and you and I, like, there was an element of people would be like, I just feel like you see me. And, and a funny thing about that is we don't, see, we don't see them, right? We're the ones on live video. They're the ones that were on text. But it's that idea of like letting people know that they're heard and, and that everyone's voice matters. And I think those, like, those key components, to me, they, they, they operate very well in all different mediums. But in Web3, when we add this ownership, com- this component of ownership, which is what you know, when I look at NFTs, I, I look at NFTs as, as really just this idea of digital ownership. And it's something we've never had before. We've never had what you would consider, you know, transparent digital ownership uh, up until, you know, the blockchain enabling it. But I think with ownership comes this uh, additional pressure, an additional component to community building. And I think we could argue that, you know, I, would, I will make the argument that Web3 community building is the most difficult 
yet I believe the most rewarding, satisfying, and really will be the biggest catalyst for business growth and brands, you know, for the future. And I think when we think about that, it comes down to that principle of trust, right? And I think that was what we were doing on live video. We were just building trust. Look us in our digital eyeballs. We're going to show up as we're ourselves. We're not afraid to admit what we don't know. We're, we're willing to put ourselves out there and be kind of the, the leaders, but we want to celebrate others as well. And all of those things kind of just pyramid right into what Web3 is all about, where let's face it, every person that's listening to this right now, we all want to be heard. We all want to find our people. We all want to make a bigger impact on this world. 99% of us want to make a bigger impact on the world. And I think ultimately, we're just looking for the vehicle and the place that lets us be seen, lets us be heard, and we can we can ultimately be ourselves. And I, I do believe Web3 is building that. We have a ways to go where with what that needs to be built. But I think so many of those core fundamental components were built during those live video days. During you know, I remember Blab, you know, using the Blab platform and 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 learning different ways. Like, how do I bring someone on to a onto a conversation that has been going on for multiple hours and make them feel welcomed? Well, that was a skill set. We had to do that on a live video. We'll tell you what. Now, when someone jumps into our Discord for our NFT community, the idea of making them feel welcomed and warm is just a, it's a natural flow of what we've we've done for years. But I know for many others, <laughs> that can be overwhelming. That can be a, a new uh, you know frontier. And so I I agree wholeheartedly that you know for anyone that's in the even in this early adoption phase, and I think this has to do with you know, with me a little bit on my ADHD as well, you know, I've been diagnosed now uh, 10 years. And, you know, whenever, if someone looked at my Google Docs, they would say, Brian, you have a lot of wasted content. You've, you've, you've put a lot of content into these Google Docs and no one's ever seen it. And I can understand why others might see that as a waste. But for me, that is my creation process. That is my learning process. That is my way of getting things from my head out of my head to allow me to be great at what I do. And I think the beauty of all of this is, is that's where we're moving towards is this idea of it's not about doing what is right for everyone else. It's about finding your own lane, finding your own way. And for me, you know, I, I'm, I so thankful for what, Live video allowed me to, uh, you know, become as myself. Right, I've been. I'm a much better person. I'm a much better dad. I'm a much better uh, son. I, I feel like I'm a much better um, communicator, all because of this. You know, these silly phones that we had in our pocket that allowed us to press a button and go live. And and right now in Web three, I think I get to, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, you know, be the, you know, kind of tap into the fruits of that labor. I think I saw Francesca smile when you mentioned NFTs, Brian, and I don't know if you formally met Francesca before, but she is our go-to uh, trademark and IP lawyer, but you both have something in common. And Francesca, before the, I hand the mic over to you, you've both met my daughter, AJ. Uh, Brian met AJ down in San Diego uh, a few years ago. I think before she, I think when she started at UCLA, Brian, if I'm not mistaken, way back in the day. And Francesca hung out with AJ last weekend in Huntington Beach. So you have someone in common, Francesca. I'm handing the mic back over to you. And now she's a lovely young woman kicking ass and following in her dad's footsteps. So Amen. I have to meet Amen. up again, Brian. <laughs> but um, it's so it's so great to meet you finally. Um, Mitch has talked and, and Rob have spoken so well of you. I've been following you for a while. And it's really an honor to have you here in our community today. So thanks for thanks for coming. You said a word, ownership. 
that literally made my eyes pop and my ears stand up. And Rob even was like, Francesca, you got to take the next question because I am absolutely fascinated about particularly on how blockchain is revolutionizing the way we conceive of ownership. And it really trips people up to think, okay, I'm going to spend, you know, 20 grand on, on, uh, on an NFT. What am I getting? What, what do I own? What do I have? What do I have to show? And it really pushes people to redefine what they think even conceptually of ownership. Ownership doesn't need to mean that you physically hold something or physically have it in possession. So I think that that's huge. And then the second piece from an intellectual property perspective on ownership is I think that this is the next revolution of technology, how how the internet totally revolutionized how biz- how businesses, creators, and brands uh, monetize their intellectual property, how you as a content creator monetize your creations. So I would love to know from your perspective, how, how has Web3 given you the ability to really monetize your content and your, your brand through Web3? Well, it's a it's a it's a pleasure to uh, meet you here on on the audio as well, and um, and I I, lo- I love that 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 part lights you up because I think for me, it's it's such an interesting space because I, I mentioned the you know the financial component and even the and weirdly enough you know I'm a digital futurist but I in my past my last full time job when I worked at a data center people always laughed because they said Brian you're not you shouldn't be called a technology evangelist you should be called a change evangelist and I was always like. I always thought, I, at first I thought that was like a knock on who I was. I was like, what do you mean? And they're like, you don't really want technology to replace everything. You're a big believer in technology's role. And, and it's now what my, like my, you know, my focus, what gets me up every day is that idea of helping people find the harmony between technology and humanity. And I think when we think about it from that idea of ownership, to your point, the, the idea of ownership, you know, the old ways of it having to be in our hand, I mean, let's face it, you know, the last time you've bought a, a piece of software, I don't believe anyone has touched the software, right? Like there used to be a day for those of us that are, are you know, a certain age and higher that we had to go into a Best Buy and buy, a, you know, a pretty giant box that had a CD inside of it. And when, before that, we had, uh, you know, we had discs that were that we were buying. And then, you know, like my career, when I worked at the data center, it was always amazing to me that I would have ginormous brands like a Johnson and Johnson Bank of America and we'd be working with their CIO and they would say we don't want to move to the cloud because we don't know where our servers are that we can that we we want to use and so they would what we ended up installing we used Google Glass this is how early we were we were using Google Glass and we would actually give them the physical location of their server to the point where we installed web cameras that would just look at a server rack that did nothing. They would just have blinking lights and absolutely do nothing. But the the most interesting part about that was someone felt different about their ownership and security because they could see it. 
Yet, interestingly enough, part of what cloud computing enables is the idea that there isn't a single point of failure or there, there is built-in redundancy to where a lot of these limitations on physical ownership being we have to touch it, it has to live in a certain location. You know, and I remember one of the, the brands that I worked with, you know, a hurricane was coming up the East Coast uh, up towards New Jersey and it, it put down a data center. And the thing that they couldn't believe was that it didn't interrupt their their work, but it interrupted that web camera of their server. <laughs> and we told them, like, yes, we know that you, the, the servers you were looking at, you can no longer see, but the data and all of the information is no longer there. We've been able to move it with you know seamlessly. And I think with with digital ownership, with NFTs, with where we're all going, part of this is like, okay, maybe I understand digital ownership, but the problem has been we didn't really know what we were giving up with our data. We didn't really know what we were giving up with our content for all of these years. And let's face it, for many of us, it's it became too way too, way too late, right? There was no there's no button for us to pull back the metric and say, "Hey, Facebook, give us back our data." Hey, LinkedIn, let us own all of our information. All of that is it way too far down the road. But what is beautiful about this ownership idea is. Well, what if we take ownership and give it to all of us individually and allow us to decide who uses it, how they use it, why they use it, when they use it, and if we want to monetize if if we want to monetize in our ability to use it, right? And I think for me the the piece of this that has led into that monetization component is that I want to build something that those that believe in me today will be rewarded as I continue to grow and we continue to grow. And I feel like that has been the biggest limitation of content, especially creator monetization, was that, let's face it, just like everyone's favorite um, you know, band, you know, I, for anyone that's listening here, right? If you think about your favorite band that you discovered, that you were the first one, like you were early. I know a band for me was OAR, Of A Revolution is the, uh, is the band. And they came to my college and they literally were like that signature selling CDs out of the back of their car. And I bought all of their CDs. And I remember like I, I had to decide, am I going to buy a keg for my fraternity house or am I going to buy a CD from the, the back of this car? And I was like, you know what? I'm going to support these these musicians, these kids from Ohio that were born and raised in Maryland. I like love their vibe and energy. And soon they became stars and all of a sudden their their music was used crazy game of poker was used on world series of poker and then their next two hits were used on abc sports if you listen to cbs uh you know the cbs uh football show on saturday mornings the intro and outro of that show are literally this band that i met at my college that i had to decide keg or cd and the the sad part about that is I believed in them. I supported them. I've seen them in concert well over 40 times. But as they became successful, I as a fan did not. I did not reap any of the benefits that they did as a creator, even though I was the one that, you know, you could argue if those CDs aren't, you know, you know, purchased out of the back of that car, maybe they never are even able to emerge. And if we think about that today in this digital age where we're moving with NFTs, the idea that we can give people that shared ownership in this journey and what we're building. And as we each grow, we each build up and reward all of those that are along with us. I mean, I think this is, 
I think this really transcends the idea of, you know, we is greater than me, which is my mantra of the fact that like, let's all grow together. And it doesn't have to be, you know, us stepping on each other's throats. It doesn't have to be the 1% of YouTubers that happen to be really, really great and own it. And, you know, and all of them only collaborated with the 1%. And I think the last thing I'll, I'll put out there on that topic is like, the other part that I've really looked at is, you know, I've understood the a thousand true fan model that Kevin Cruz wrote about in 2008 in his essay. And I think everyone had referenced it in, uh, you know, lots of people referenced it in the, um, in the creator world, but we all knew like our goal was to grow our following, grow our audience, be bigger. We need more followers. We need more. And this idea of more, 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 I think really reared its head during the pandemic where all of a sudden it was like, I don't want to really need more. I want to I want to give the most value I can to those that are here with me right now that love me, that care about me, that are supporting me. Why do I constantly need more? And I believe this shared ownership experience that we are creating with NFTs, web3 and the metaverse is going to allow us to move from needing more to giving more, and I think there's really nothing better than that. Tokenized tribalism. I heard I heard that phrase and it just you know, everything that you said about being able to invest early in creators and get in on that economy. It's not just the record production companies that 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 benefit. It's not just YouTube that benefits anymore. You're really creating your own economy where not just you as the creator or a brand benefit, but really your consumers and your community, which is amazing. Thank you so much for clearly articulating that. And I, I'm sure the brains in our audience were kind of exploding hearing that. I saw a lot of hearts. Yeah, I was about to say, this is an absolute masterclass that Fanzo is delivering right now. So can we just have a little heart emoji for Fanzo? We've already hit the bottom of the hour. We're going to be going for a, another 30 minutes, folks, and we've still got loads to get through. So tune in. And I just want to say I'm a big fan. And if you remember nothing from today, remember that soundbite from Fanzo, because I think it's the key for being successful in Web3. We is greater than me. We talk a lot about that word community. And I think I just absolutely love that and everything it stands for. I'm a big fan i'm a proud holder of some of your adhd coin as well i'm in your discord and i love everything you're doing and talking of community i want to welcome to the stage our next speaker who no doubt will absolutely show off all his wisdom and expertise the wonderful hosselin he has been helping me lead the charge on linkedin audio i know he's huge over on twitter but he's been sharing and really been a community person over here on linkedin when i've been hosting the linkedin audio town halls and sharing notes and going above and beyond in his own free time for no greater gain than other to help others. So with that, buddy, we'd love for you to sort of give 30 seconds on your sort of social audio, Twitter, and then fire up your uh, question for Banzo, buddy. You have the mic. Great to see you. Well, first, <clears throat> thank you, Robert, for bringing me up. Really appreciate it. Uh, Mitch, great to see you off of uh, Twitter Spaces. Phenomenal. And Francesca, good to virtually meet you. And Fanzo, homie, we've been going back uh, for many years. So uh, it's a pleasure to always see and have a discussion um, <clears throat> with you. Quick uh, update on me or quick background. I'm not <clears throat> primarily a Twitter Spaces host. I've been helping uh, the creative community there. I've been running Monetize Monday, which I should be running now, but I took a quick break. Um, I've been running that for over a year, <clears throat> not just a, as a host, but also probably one of the few people that understands the technology behind um, Twitter and Twitter Spaces. And I'm always up on the latest features and functions there. I'm probably the only person also that actually hosts a weekly space with an actual Twitter employee to validate all the features and functions. Um, which is also great. So 
those are like the big picture things. Um, I did want to get right to it since we have a, a, a limited amount of time. Uh, I do have some two brief questions. And um, and the third bonus question, is, which is, it was a, either, how many CDs did you buy? Because it, it was either very expensive CDs or very inexpensive keg where you live. So that's just a side <laughs> note. just wanted to bring that up. Anyway, my first question <laughs> is, um, there's a lot of, um, people in doubt about crypto and NFTs. Could you kind of really, for creators, um, highlight the true benefit now of, of investing in crypto, uh, given the kind of almost like the overwhelming amount of media coverage regarding and cynicism around crypto and NFTs, especially for creators, um, since you're in that world? Could you kind of give us that value proposition of why and why now? Uh, yeah, I sure can. And yeah, always great to uh, share the stage with you, my friend. And uh, and yeah, they, they, I didn't say there was good kegs of beer. Uh, I went to Radford University. Uh, those were like we would thirty five dollars, or we could trade in a pizza, and it would, we, they would give us a keg of beer. So that was uh, <laughs> there was probably three CDs that I bought uh, to have that uh, in that uh, you know those days and eight back in my day uh, back in two thousand two two thousand three. But um, you know, to your point, you know, the thing about you know. And, I, and I'll be very careful with the words I use in the sense of investing in crypto, because I think cryptocurrencies as a whole resets a lot of what we think of when it comes to value exchange and really resetting, you know, the idea of removing borders from the the interact the the interacting of you know shared goods and value, right? And and I will say like you know the part of my career that I kind of left out in my background is, you know, I played semi-professional poker for, uh, for many years. And, you know, during those years when I played semi-professional poker, you know, we went through this whole idea of regulation and, and people that were really, you know, confused by online poker and there was bad actors and there were people stealing and people, you know, um, figuring out how to manipulate the technology to see people hold cards. And I believe the poker world went the wrong way. <laughs> And I hope the crypto world does not. And I hope they learn from a lot of the mistakes that the poker community made. And a lot of it was, you know, bucking against the system, uh, trying to, you know, work outside of regulations rather than working with regulations. And I think from creators' perspective, what is really beautiful about this idea is, like, I've never liked when someone told me, I need to build an email newsletter because you don't want to be built built on rented land. Like, that was always what it was told to me. And I was like, well isn't my email rented land? And isn't that email list rented? Like, do I own everyone's email address? And last time I checked, nobody I know says, please send me more email, right? Like, so I was always kind of like jaded when someone would, would, you know, kind of question what we were building on Periscope or Twitter or even LinkedIn here. And, and I think for me, the, the idea of what they were really saying was, you know, how are you going to reach your community? How are you going to share value? And I, and I like to use that word share value because the beauty of a creator economy doesn't have to be about buying and selling and, and a financial who's who. And and I I, I, I take a lot of pride in, in our community. And I know, you know, Robert, you mentioned, you know, holding ADHD coin. You know, there are a lot of people in our community that have never bought any ADHD coin. They've earned ADHD coin by engaging in our community, showing up to our game nights, celebrating in some of the things that we work through. And they've been able to take what they've earned and they've been able to cash in. And now they show up to our my Friday call that I have every single Friday. 
Friday with those that hold 93 ADHD coin. And that isn't, it, it removes that idea of it's a pay to play game. Now, if you want to join the community today and join the call on Friday and you have the financial means to do so, you can just buy those 93 coins, not have to go through all those steps that someone else might have and join that same call. And so for me, that part of it is massive because we all know, we've all seen it, you know, like from Twitch to YouTube, you know, the idea that like creators, uh, the 1% of creators would, would win. The platform would win with the data and the, the, you know, the amount of traffic and, you know, the ad space. But the saddest part about it was the people that made all of those people money and rewarded all of them were left out to dry. All we did was get more ads, a worse user experience in many cases. And in many cases, we became more distant from our the creators that we love, right? Those that, that loved the early days of Mr. Beast, they can't even get their comment on the screen with Mr. Beast today because of how big of a creator he's become. And I think the beauty of what crypto, what NFTs enables for us as creators is it allows us to continue to shrink the distance between ourselves and our community and our audience without the need to feel like the only way we can monetize is if we push them further away. We sell more ads, we add more sponsors. And I think that part should excite every single creator because for me, what Web3 really represents for creators is you get to do the thing that you love doing the most, which is creating whichever way you feel like creating. And you have to spend less time marketing, selling, advertising, upselling, merchandise popping, like all of those things that were before. Now it's like, hey, let's sell merchandise, but let's reward those that are here every day that allowed us to afford this merchandise by giving them discounts or exclusive access or that change in, in environment. And the beauty of that is it can all be done. And this is the, the key word that I have not used enough this entire talk is transparency, right? And I think when, when Francesca, when you said, when, when brought up that idea of ownership to me, the transparency that the blockchain enables, yes, it can be scary. Yes. It can be used for bad and evil. And that's partially what the media loves to cover. But the beauty of it is it is giving us access to information and people in ways that we never knew that was possible. And it's enabling us to truly see things like how much donations people are actually making and, and where that money is actually going and who's actually doing what with what technology. And I think to me as a creator, the idea that I don't have to tell a brand that I'm influential, they can actually see based on the blockchain. When I talk about a project, how many people jump into that project? How many people are in my community that own that? I can you don't I don't even have to tell you. You can go literally look and map those two things together on the blockchain and we've never had that layer of transparency. And so I look at influencer marketing taking a you know it's going to be 3 to 5 years, but in 3 to 5 years the idea of influencer marketing we will laugh at the fact that we used to look at creators number of following as the number one data point. And we will be moving into a world that says how many creators are trusted and that trust score is actually measured by transparent transactions on the blockchain. And that's why for me, you know, what this all means for creators is all, you know, it's an exciting world, but I will say 
the crypto space is very polarizing. It's why Instagram uses the words digital collectibles. It's why Starbucks calls them passport stamps. The, you know, NFTs can, you know, people, people think of an NFT, what people think of crypto, even what people think of the metaverse um, right now is very, you know, polarizing. And I think it's just up to us to under, to hopefully t- teach them, inspire them to see these other sides of it, because I think that's when the magic happens. It's why you won't hear me talking about flipping NFTs on stages. I talk about, hey, did you know that if we moved our passports, if we moved our car uh, license, our car ownership onto the blockchain, could you imagine what this could hold, what this could actually do? And I think that to me is is the most exciting part of where we're going with this whole technology. I love that. You know, digital currency, how, how are we going to do transactions in Web3 of the metaverse, Brian, if we're not doing it digitally, right? It's, it's the future of everything that we're doing. And you keep alluding to, you know, building community and, um, you know, learning from our mistakes and moving forward. But there's something that you've consistently done each and every day this year. And I don't want to miss, you know, talking to you about this, your NFT 365 project. In other words, you're walking your talk. When these big brands want to see what you're bringing to the table, they don't have to listen to what you tell them. They're able to look at the blockchain and see if you're walking your talk. And so I'm as excited about that as you are because you and I have been through a lot and we've seen, you know, people come and go and uh, we don't need any more digital foxes in the digital hen houses, right? Having said that, there's, there's nothing more important than working your ass off. And that's something that you've done each and every day for, for almost the past year leading up to November 11th, next month, 2022. Talk to us a little bit about this project. What's your why behind it? What are you doing for, in case there's people listening to the live or recorded show that aren't familiar with your project? And uh, what do you got planned in November? Yeah, thanks, Mitch. Uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I will say, you know, the the wild part of this this ride, right, and the the origin and the the piece of it is, you know, I think as early adopters, as those of us, you know, we we hear things like, you know, failure is a necessary step uh, to success, but I actually would think we have to always, you know, caveat that with like learning from our failures is is the is the lesson, right? Is the is the piece, and there is lots of times in my career where I was jealous, I was jealous of other creators because they did something either earlier or better, or they knew about something before I did. And I, and I was like, man, it must be nice, right? It must be nice to know about podcasting in 2009 and be able to create a daily podcast on podcasting and own the podcast space. You know, it must be nice that you understood where, you know, LinkedIn publisher was going and you started creating, you know, LinkedIn long form messages before any of us even knew that was a feature. And so I was always committed to myself that said, I'm going to take every one of these lessons of these must be nice lessons and I'm going to prepare myself. And if the opportunity ever you know, presents itself where I can, I can go from being the, the jealous must be nice person to the person that says, you know what, I, I now know what I need to know and I'm going to take advantage of it. And that's really what happened for me was that in the summer of last year, I started to look at this NFT space and the idea of a smart contract. And I was really excited. I, I just love the idea that we allow technology to automate and really, you know, add an, a layer of, you know, <laughs> you know, it's an instrument that really activates things without us having to do a lot of human interaction when it comes to saying, if you do this, you get rewarded with that. 
right? A, a simple if this, then that uh, formula. And in the world we've lived in, that, that's been the, the norm digitally, right? We, every single you know, person is going to get hit with these emails between now and, and the holidays, right? That it says, you know, if you spend $100, you're going to get a $150 gift card. But the way that always worked was like, if you did this, you then got something that they control, they own, and they put their own timer on. And what smart contracts felt like was, wait a second, we can change that shift. And so as I saw the aha of smart contracts, as I saw where this NFT and the, and the creator economy was kind of blurring together, you know, I said, you know what, we're going to go to New York and we're going to, uh, we're going to listen and learn from what's being said at this, uh, you know, bas- massive event, NFT NYC, and we're going to find our place. Now I can tell you, I definitely did not go up there thinking I was going to do a daily podcast. Definitely did not go up there thinking this would be my life. You know, I would eat it, sleep it, breathe it every minute of every day for a year. But it was that aha moment of, wait a second, I understood what John Lee Dumas did with podcasting in 2009, where he started Entrepreneurs on Fire, when everyone said no one will listen to a daily podcast. And yet it became a multi-million dollar business where he became not only the authority, but he became someone that was building something on top of this idea of owning it and, and, and providing it daily. And honestly, when I came down to it, it I was you know, talking to Drew on, on my team and, and I said, Drew, here's the, here's the decision we have to make. Do we launch an NFT project where we give you know, value and utility to our audience or do we build, a, we, we build this trust so much so that I don't even have to, I don't have to convince people to trust me in Web3? And, you know, I, Drew was like, well, Brian, you have a large social following. You've been in this space for a long while. And I said, you know, the thing that scares me is like, I don't want people in Web3 to, to, to kind of come across me as a money grab or someone that is, is short term thinking. I want people to know who I am at my core. And if they don't, I want to have the track record in Web3 that, 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 that demonstrates everything that I believe in, in the sense of commitment to what we're building, the idea of consistency, the idea of trusting others, the idea that I say what I think. I, I'm very strong opinionated, but I am also someone that spends more time positively lifting others up than I need to spend any time breaking people down or talking negatively because there's plenty of people doing that. And so we launched this daily podcast and buying an NFT every day for a year. And, you know, as we're, as we're now getting closer to, you know, we're less than three weeks away, you know, I spent 40 years of my life believing that I, I couldn't be consistent. I have ADHD. I am someone that loves, you know, I'm multi-hyphenated. I have lots of things going on. Consistency was not my thing. Yet, if you, I know, Mitch, you've seen me speak more times than you could count. Consistency was always on my slides because I believe in it. I understood it. I know how important consistency can be on, on people finding you, discovering you, and building that trust. And so we, we went all in and, and we launched it November 11th and, you know, 345 plus days later, um, we are, are still going. We have not missed a day. You know, it's been a, it's been a ride. It's been more sacrifice, more, um, man, it's, it's, it's been a lot more than I ever imagined while at the same time, the things that I thought it was going to be rewarding me in, yes, they, they might come and they, and they, they are very fruitful in the, the community and we've sold NFTs, we've, you know, our ADHD coin. But the, the most wild part of this whole ride has been I've taught myself at 41 years old now that I can do things that I maybe had believed my entire life and career 
that I wouldn't, I wasn't good at and I wasn't capable of. And I think when I look at my daughters, my daughters and I, we're trying to figure out how many hours of, con- of podcasting I've done uh, since we started on November 11th. And they got to about 200 hours and they're like, okay, daddy, we don't longer care. Like the number is already too big, daddy. Like we know. And like they joke because, you know, when you're doing a daily podcast and as a dad, um, they get to hear it, right? I have to record every single day. And so they know the intro, the outro. They know Kevin Sturmer, who's here in the audience. They know his, his music and his intro. They'll say, they'll even mock me before going to bed last Last night, my my da- my my daughter said. Uh, she looked at me and she said, "What's up, friends?" And I looked at my I looked at my daughter. And I was like, "What did you just say?" She said, "Well, what do you say, Daddy?" And those like those are two lines that I say every single day in my podcast. And and in a weird way, like my daughter's recognizing that like my commitment and them knowing that if I'm sacrificing time with them, it must be very important because I value that time I have with them so much. And so. Yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride. Uh, we have an amazing team and uh, amazing people that we've met along the way, and you know we sold NFTs to to you know with part of the project. So you know many people here hold uh, you know either a super fans or a, a founders NFT, and then along the way I actually discovered my own uh, artistic freedom and uh, creative aspect, which was I think part two of this whole. Uh, self-discovery journey is I, I discovered AI art and I know I know Mitch you are uh, in this realm as well and and for me I I always felt like man it must be nice to be able to be a singer it must be nice to be able to be a painter it must be nice to be able to really be a skilled photographer because you can capture these moments and tell these stories that can live on forever and I'm very blessed I will not not you know say that I'm not I don't feel blessed in the fact that I've been able to speak for a living and I use my voice and I use video to be able to create those very similar things. But I kind of chalked off the idea of of art being something that I would ever uh, output. And, you know, we're now six weeks in, in on, uh, you know, six or five uh, consecutive Fridays uh, selling our AI art. And it's enabled this aspect of like uh, creative freedom that I never knew uh, was possible. And so, yeah, that's the the whole piece of this. And where we've been buying an well, NFT. Brian, Brian, yep. Brian, but you're not just selling, you're not just selling your, your AI art. You're selling your, you're selling out your drops. I mean that. Yes. That's just fantastic. That's amazing. Tell everybody what that means. Yeah, it's it's been amazing. I mean, it's been amazing. I, you know, I, I will say I I created the AI um, art, and as I started to realize that I could really, the, it kind of fit me. The the idea of all the coding. You know, I was a computer science major. Uh, the idea of A B testing and finding my own way, and and so I put them on slides um, for a presentation that I gave at Disney, and the feedback from that audience at Disney telling me. That they were like, wow! They, none of them knew that I created the slides, uh, that the artwork on the slides. They were all just in, you know, in awe of the of the art that was up there. It kind of jump started the idea that, you know, what if I created, you know, a piece of art uh, to represent each month of this journey of buying an NFT every single day. And so that's where it started. We we launched. Uh, you know, I'm very thankful. Nifty Gateway. A shout out to Nifty Gateway. Um, they identified me as a great curator. They definitely did not. Uh, think I was a, a great creator of of art. 
uh, because at the time I had never put a piece of art out. And, and just for context, this was, this was nine weeks ago, right? Nine weeks ago, I had never put a piece of art that I had ever created anywhere. My, my daughters even put my birdhouse that I created with them. My birdhouse is the only one outside on the back porch. Everyone else's is in the living room. Uh, mine is on the back porch because my daughters thought it, it didn't, you know, really deserve to be in the living room. It had its own, <laughs> its, its own creative view. And, and now all these times later, we've been dropping uh, 11 pieces um, twice. So two drops each Friday. Each has 11 pieces. Uh, they go for sale at 11 a.m. 11 11 a.m. Uh, for 111 dollars. You might get the number there because. We started the podcast on 11-11-21. We will finish on 11-11-22. And I've been very blessed for them to not only sell out, but we've, we've had secondary sales in the thousands of dollars. Uh, we've had pictures of people hanging up now the artwork in their living room. In their, uh, I have someone that's actually hanging it up in their office in a, in a giant canvas on the wall with one of our, our sunflower photos that I created. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been truly <laughs> been mind-blowing and uh, an exciting experience I have right now. The, we have another drop coming this Friday uh, at 11, 11 a.m. again on, on Nifty. And I'm working on this, you know, finalizing the second piece of those two uh, right now today. And I'm looking at it right now on the screen. And it's just, um, it, it's, it's been a beautiful outlet and a discovery of something inside me that I didn't know I had. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's the other part of this journey that's just really exciting. And it kind of all leads into the end of, to the you know, season finale. Uh, and it's not the end. We're going to keep this going uh, from here on forward. Uh, but it's season one is, is coming to an end on uh, November 11th. Uh, and our season finale, we're actually, you know, all of these NFTs that we've bought, I've actually, you know, we haven't sold any of them. They've, that, that's part of this that I think is often overlooked is that people can buy NFTs every day. But the idea that I've been I've been buying them and, and holding them with the idea that, hey, we're going to build a time capsule of what this space is. And so we're going to put it up for auction come uh, November 11th. And whoever buys the the one mosaic piece, they'll actually be the owners of all 365 pieces uh, NFTs that are included in there. And they'll have kind of a first of its kind uh, time capsule of NFT space. And I have, you know, every piece, every type of utility and uh, you know, a value of an NFT that you can imagine is included from fashion to metaverse to, um, you know, uh, giving back campaigns to raising funds to a book campaign to one of one artists to metaverse land. Uh, I really tried hard to add not only diversity of utility, but also diversity of founders. We have people, we have a 13 year olds collection in our collection and we have someone that is in their late sixties, uh, in our, in our collection. And to me, that's also kind of summarizes what we've been building since, uh, November 11th. So yeah, I appreciate you letting me share. And yeah, the AI art journey has been great. I, I love what you're doing as well there, Mitch. It's, it's a lot of fun. I am loving what you're doing, Fanzo, and indeed, Mitch. And I'm, I just think it's amazing. So just so people who perhaps it's quite a lot to take in, how can they keep up to date? What's the best way for them to to follow up if they've got questions or to join your community? What? How can they keep up to date with all of that, Fanzo? Sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's all, that's a, that's like a million dollar question because I, I'm a little bit of everywhere uh, always. But uh, the beauty of it is, you know, my the team and I have to give a big shout out to the team. I know many of them are listening here as well. You know, we've been and and I when I say team, I say team that was built because of a community, and I think this is a very important component of this. Like every person that joined our team was was a listener of the podcast first and they they were like Brian I believe in what you're building how can I how can I help more what can I do to spread the message and I just think 
It's an essence of the amazing, great people that are in Web3 that truly just want to be a part of great things. And that's that's the people that make up the team that we have here. And so for those that, you know, we have the website, uh, nft365podcast.com. Um, we have a newsletter. If you just go to my Twitter account, you can actually um, subscribe to the newsletter. It's pinned to the top of the uh, of the Twitter account. Uh, and then, of course, we have a Discord. I know not everyone is, uh, is Discord, huge Discord fans. Uh, and then here on LinkedIn, I, I will say, uh, most people don't know this as much about me as probably they should, but uh, LinkedIn is a platform that I absolutely love. I check it every single day. Uh, I interact on posts almost every single day for the last since 2014. Um, I had an aha moment. I, I tell people this story real quickly, but it, you know, I went. Uh, my, the LinkedIn team had brought me out to San Francisco to speak at an event. And I didn't know at the time, but the reason they brought me out is because I made fun of LinkedIn in my talks because I would tell people like, you know, if you're building a personal brand, you need to be on LinkedIn. And I would get these looks and I would tell them, I know, I know nobody really thinks about LinkedIn unless you're looking for a job or you're trying to hire somebody. And that was always like my little fun little caveat and people would laugh and like, oh, you're right. I was like, we all know you have to go hit forgot password because you forgot your LinkedIn password. And LinkedIn at that moment, you know, and this was kind of leading into what Microsoft was, was building here, kind of, you know, it let me into this idea of like, wow, okay, I'm going to go to where my audience is not make my audience come to where I'm at. And so with that being said, if you're here on LinkedIn as your primary platform, you can definitely send me a message here uh, on LinkedIn. I do try to get to my in-mail uh, as much as I can. <laughs> I will say my, my in-mail at the moment is a little bit um, off, uh, off crazy. I, I, even my Twitter DMs, I'm pretty good at Twitter DMs and I'm looking at my DM number right now and it's over a hundred. And I'll just tell you, Four days ago, I had got it down under uh, under ten. So I got a lot of messages to get up from. But uh, I think being bit too busy is 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 just an, uh, an excuse that uh, I don't want to make. So I, I do have a team that helps out uh, interacting. And so if I'm not getting back to you, definitely hit us up on you know either the social channels or on our website as well. Absolutely, folks. So you've heard it there first in terms of where you can keep up to date with with all of this. And uh, I, I just so many great learns that I take. And I just want to sort of highlight the point about consistency, because I think it's it's so under understood. I think, you know, I can't transplain enough. Anything in my business world or anything that's happened is purely down to consistency. And I think Banzo's commitment and consistency to what he's doing is absolutely incredible. But before we reach the top of the hour, I kind of want to switch to human family first i know on stage mitch francesca um you know we're all sort of family focused people and that's one of the core values we share as we collaborate doing these linkedin live audios together and i know for yourself as well fans you've talked a lot about your your girls and you know you're a girl dad to three i'm a girl dad to one so putting your parent cap on for the moment what are you most excited about with all of this emerging technology for our children and their futures and flipping that on its head, what are you most concerned or cautious about? Oh, man, you're going to get me a little emotional on that side because I love this question uh, and I don't think I get asked it enough. And so uh, I tip my hat to you. Thank you for asking this question. And I uh, I think for all of those that have been, you know, we've been blessed to be parents or take on that role. Um, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I look at as a as a dad, especially, you know, for me, the the ADHD really was one that, you know, kind of put this into motion and it taps into the question. You know, I was diagnosed at, at, at 31 years old and I'm now 41, but I knew at 11 years old that I was different. And unfortunately from 11 till 31, I always felt broken in the sense of, you know, the things that everyone else could do easily, I struggled with. 
Now, the caveat to that is once I left school, there wasn't anything in my career that I have not been successful at. I've been, I've been very successful at every single stop, every job I've ever had, every career, everything that I've wanted to do. But the, the weird part about that for all those years was I just felt broken. I just felt like, wait, why are these little things you know, so hard for me? Or why, don't I, why can't I read a book like everyone else? And I would, I would say like, oh, you know, when I read that book, but the truthful thing was I listened to the audio book, but it wasn't cool to say you listened to the audio book. And so when I think about that now and my, my youngest, my middle daughter, um, she shares a, a beautiful brain with her daddy. So she was diagnosed uh, ADHD and dyslexia when she was nine. So two years ago. And for me, it was like this, like, oh my goodness, like I get to, it, it's not live through her. It's not try to you know make her life my life, but I get to, I get to help like, identify some of the things that I just wish that I knew, that I saw, that I heard, wish that I felt. And, you know, my parents are my heroes. They are amazing in my life. My mom and dad, Mitch has actually uh, met my parents before. So uh, he can attest to that, that side of the house. And I know, you know, uh, our, you know, commitment to our, our kids. But I will say the thing that I'm most excited about, and it's the thing that I actually, it's my North Star. And it, it is that I believe we are moving towards a place where technology is going to help us feel less alone not more alone. And I think it's unfortunate that for the last 10 years, we become more connected, yet also more isolated and more alone. And part of that has just been how we show up and who we show up and, and where the technology is fit. But I believe we are moving towards a future. And part of this is Web3, because be very clear, what Web3 is, is it does not replace what we do offline. But what it's going to do is it's going to increase the value of what we already do when we're connected. 50% of our day or 50% of our lives, we are connected. But right now we are connected in ways that aren't maximized, that aren't at its premium. And that's where Web3 is taking it. But we still have that other 50% that will still need handshakes and hugs and, and selfies and traveling to go to places that we need to go. And so for me, believing that my daughters will grow up in a, in, in a world that no matter what they like, no matter who they believe they are, no matter what they, when they look in the mirror, what they see they, they will recognize that they're not alone and that they are on this journey and others are like them, to me, is the thing that excites me the most, without question, without even hesitation. The thing that I would say concerns me, worries me, or overwhelms me in that, in that sense is that you know, with this change, not only there, does there have to become a tipping point, you know, shout out to Malcolm Gladwell, but there also has to be a, a massive shift in how we perceive people, how we... We, we jump to judgment of people. And a lot of this is, is very hard and very difficult. And, you know, I would, I would wish that, you know, as, as a, a pager wearing millennial, I wish that I would say that millennials have figured it out, but I believe Gen Z has figured it out. Millennials did not figure it out. Gen Z are, are, are really leading us in a way of vulnerability, of transparency, of making sure that people are heard, making sure that, that things don't go, just get continue to be pushed under the rug. And so the thing that I, I, I would say that I'm most concerned about is is that the change that I believe should be happening in the next five to 10 years might not happen for the next 20 years. And partially that is because of our own, our own innate, you know, you know, adverse feelings to change and things that we are scared of, or we are like, well, that's not the way we've always done it. And I think the truth is 
many of us would recognize we don't want to go back to the way that the world was pre-pandemic. The pandemic forced us to stop and own a lot of things on this journey in life. And I think the question now has to become, what are we willing to change? What are we willing to sacrifice? And I struggle there because that's what really concerns me is that, you know, with every person that is vulnerable and talks about their mental health, there's still a boss or a job or a company that is not hiring somebody because that person posted publicly about their mental health. Yet little do they realize that that person posting publicly is at a much better space more than likely than someone that is probably working for them right now that doesn't feel like they can share and doesn't feel like they can be heard. And I think that change is going to take, you know, additional time. It's going to take a lot of us to, you know, come to, you know, decisions that maybe some of the people in our lives that have been in our lives for most of our lives might not be the people that are in our lives moving forward because, you know, they don't see that. But I, I'm excited for the future. I believe, you know, that the Gen Z leaders that we have right now, and there are some great ones out there. Uh, and I know, you know, Mitch is, Mitch has a couple of kids there that are at the, at the leaders, the pinnacle there. And I, and I say that because I've had the, the pleasure of meeting them in person and, and knowing what, you know, Mitch is raising them and, and how they're kind of taking on the world. And I think when I look at the future, I used to be like the, the millennial guy that was like, millennials got this. We figured this out. And now I'm like, Hey, millennials, let's, let's, let's check ourselves, you know, and, you know, before we wreck ourselves and let's go back and let's look at what Gen Z is doing well and let's stop blaming TikTok for things that we don't understand and start recognizing maybe TikTok's sharing things in ways that we need to be better sharing amongst our, our friends and family and those around us. So I, I, I appreciate the question. I think as, uh, as parents, as anyone, as leaders in this space, I, I do believe we can, we can really reset the future and reimagine what is possible but it's going to take a lot of work from us and it's going to take work in the small corners, the one-to-one conversations at a gas station, the dinner tables when we're sitting at dinner these holidays, when someone says something in the past, we just let it go. And I think those are moments where we can educate, we can bring things to life. And if we can all do those one-to-one conversations and change that narrative, that's where the real big change is going to happen. It's not going to be by going viral on Twitter or getting these giant movements. It's going to take all of us doing you know, the hard work on those one-to-one conversations. And, and I hope that you know, people will take on that challenge. And uh, Br- Brian, Robert gave me the mic just to say, uh, Garrett, Gen Z, Garrett normally will join us during these shows but he can't break away. He's over at VaynerMedia in LA now uh, working his butt off uh, for the big guy and his team. But Garrett just messaged me and wanted to say hi, and he's sorry he missed the show. Uh, Brian's daughters all have ledgers, everyone. And uh, so he's walking his talk. He's teaching his kids how to get ready for this new Web3 digital space. Brian, thanks for joining us today. This was fantastic. Rob, I know you have to run. I'm going to hand the mic back over to you. And uh, it was good seeing you, Brian. Take care. Well, I just want to say thank you ever so much, Fanzo, for your time as a, a fan supporter of yours. It's been great to to listen to your wisdom today. And, you know, you absolutely are a, a digital futurist and everything that you've said today has resonated with me. I've learned a lot. I hope all of you in the audience have learned a lot today. Please do show some appreciation, some heart emojis for Fanzo. And I'd just like to also say a huge fan uh, thank you to my resident panel, the wonderful Mitch, Francesca, Hosselman, great to see you, buddy thanks for stopping by and caleb who does a lot of work behind the scenes for web3 insanity so um everyone i hope you all have great rest of the weeks make sure that you follow fanzo keep up to date with all of his resources that he mentioned and we'll be back soon folks we've got lots more in the pipe but for now enjoy your weeks take care bye-bye everybody bye-bye